0: It's S-W-O-P-E-S. My crew, my boo, my weed's the best. So ahead of my time, you can't see me yet, but the last thing you'll ever see is me be stressed. Mm. Hi everybody, welcome to my podcast. It is me, Elise Swopes, and hi, how's it going? You know, I always love to ask how you're doing, and I hope that you are doing well. I'm looking out my window right now, and there's a pigeon on my Window seal, and I have not seen a pigeon up this high in a while. I feel like I've been inside a cage (laughs) to say the least. Wow, well, what a time, huh? I mean, a lot's still going on. I mean, there's still a ton of just crazy news that's coming out. There's so much violence and, and so much weird things that don't even make sense. I mean, there's people still being murdered, and I don't even know where to begin with it, but I just hope and pray that in due time we figure out what to do about everything instead of pointing fingers and blaming. Let's just find a solution, you know? So, praying for some solutions so that we don't see any more people of color die, black people die, and anyone die in general, you know? I'm just, I'm tired of just the collective sadness that we're all feeling, and it's really, you know, I'm ready for something different and i know that we all are and so you know that's why at least i try to keep a positive thing going as much as i can when it comes to my position of power so to say i try to teach people you know awareness mindfulness so today we're going to be talking about emotions and really thinking about are you emotionally driven do you allow your emotions to control you? And then we're also gonna talk about restorative justice, because I think that's a good second conversation stemming from the conversation I had initially about police abolishment and, you know, systemic racism. We need a actual solve insight. And I think restorative justice at the end of the day is gonna be what we need. And also we're gonna talk about personal growth. We have talked about a ton of personal growth. Things, But we haven't talked about personal growth in its essence of What is personal growth and what does that mean to some people And how do you need to act and behave in order to allow personal growth to affect your life So let's get into it Now our first topic is going to be about emotions And think about it, are you emotionally driven? What does emotionally driven even mean? That means that you really are In response to how you feel, you make decisions on your feelings, based on your feelings. There is no logic, maybe, so to say. I mean, it's really just, oh, because I feel like it. Well, that can work in some cases, and sometimes it may not. Now, you have to consider, at the end of the day, that emotionally driven conversations sometimes don't have a point, And if we do sit back and maybe slow down or practice willpower or set some goals or use reminders or just a few of these tips that I'll share, we can really start to see that being emotionally driven can sometimes cause us some issues. And so when we just kind of sit back, think about it a little bit more, we do find that we can have more control over the outcome. Now, the first idea that I have To allow yourself to be a little less emotionally driven and is to slow down. Just slow down a little bit. Pause for five minutes. Feel the feeling, okay? And feel it in your body. Feel it in your muscles. Feel it in your head. Feel it in your wrists, your hands, your arms, your legs, your feet. Like, feel it in your chest. And sit with it. Don't dismiss it. Don't ignore it, that's for sure. The more you ignore something, the more the problem persists. So always acknowledge it in a way where you can solve it. You also want to make sure that you take responsibility for that emotion. Don't just dismiss it. Take responsibility. Own it. The more you allow other people to control your emotions is the more you allow them to be the ones that decide how you feel. You have to decide how you feel. That means taking responsibility, naming your feelings, and not dismissing them. Making sure that you slow down a second for it. That'll allow you to (laughs) practice more willpower. This is my second tip, is to just practice more willpower. Have fun with being accountable and practicing being accountable. Have a challenge almost in your own body to say, Okay, how can I... Control this and kind of approach it in a different way than I did last time because I know maybe last time didn't work out the way that I liked it to. right? So practice that awareness Practice almost having a trust in the outcome that you had experienced before or didn't experience before And think about the concept of sacrifice Remember that when you do sacrifice for something good, there's always a better outcome in the end And You've also got to realize you need to be patient with yourself, most importantly, and you've also got to make sure that you forgive yourself through any kind of hiccups that may come up because there's going to be ton for the rest of your life. It's never going to be perfect. So have fun with it. Smile through each of those practices. Smile through each of the times that you may need to check yourself because that's the contest within yourself. That's the challenge of life. Also know your triggers too, know what makes you emotional, know what makes you upset, know what causes you to feel a certain way, and remember those things. you want to, you know, journal about them, you'll want to keep... Maybe just something to keep track of it so that you can kind of consider maybe there's patterns, you know. Maybe you don't want to pay attention exactly, but it feels a little less abrasive to maybe write it down and maybe look back at the end of the week and say, okay, oh, maybe there is something going on. And that could really help. It could really, really help. Now, you also want to think about, as my third tip, is setting goals and intentions and tasks. When you feel a little bit more aimless in your day-to-day, when you all of us have things we love to do, right? We have things that we can be doing consistently. I mean, there's tons of goals and tasks and things that we can definitely accomplish if we put our minds to it. But sometimes when we feel so aimless trying to accomplish all these things, there's really no end in sight. There's no building being built. And so when you're laying bricks, individual bricks that make sense to the whole picture, to the whole building, then. You're not building aimlessly, right? So think about your goals, think about your intentions, and think about the tasks that you have so that if you do get emotional in between anywhere at any point, those emotions can seem either beneficial or not. Because do they add up to the end goal? Do they add up to your purpose? Do they add up to your mission? You got to just think about that, right? So that'll really help you to be less aimless, to be a little less not so less emotional, because I don't like to say emotional. Everyone should be emotional. You should have emotions. You should be as emotional as you can be, but don't be aimless in your emotions. Number four, you also want to think about using reminders and just replacing your current thinking. Like I said, the same kind of way is just thinking about your triggers, creating new patterns, being aware of those patterns and having mantras and reading books and educating yourself so that those things aren't being consistent in your life all the time. Educate yourself beyond what you know, what you experience. Humble yourself in growth because there's a lot to come from that. And meditate, if you can. Meditation is huge and wonderful, and it's really such a great way to connect with yourself, to merely just be with yourself, to acknowledge yourself, to be friends with yourself, to love yourself, to not judge yourself. When you can be alone with you, you're less involved to be Pressured or to be changed or to be told something or to be altered. You know, you're to be less emotional. I mean, when you have a certain sense of self, you're much less inclined to be affected by anything else. And you've also got to think about understanding other people too, understanding people react with their pain, understanding people react with a lot of their own confusion, and that most of the things that they do, don't have anything to do with you at Really So have reminders And replace your thinking And attach that to the certain responses And emotional responses you may have In your day to day Now I want to end this first part By saying that emotions are not a weakness Not whatsoever Emotions are strength And the more you acknowledge them The more you push through them The more you are aware of them The stronger you really are And I think There's something to be said about people who think weaknesses or emotions are weaknesses. You know, I think that there's an embarrassment factor there. I think there's a self-esteem issue. And I think there's something about, you know, just being afraid. Don't be afraid to show who you are. and Don't be afraid to solve the thing that may be in your way. Okay, so let's talk about restorative justice. It's a hard topic to talk about for me, not because of really what it's about, but really because I, I'm not so much a specialist. I tend to talk in every podcast as if I know what I'm saying, but at the end of the day, it really has everything to do with a lot of the research that I do in multiple, multiple places. And so... This time around, I'd love to just be really specific on where I'm getting this information because I think if I'm not being like very specific on where I get it from, I don't think I'm doing due diligence to those who have done the work or who have risked their lives for this work. And I think that this kind of work is very difficult. It's very scary and it's very different and it's very new. And I think that in order to change the world, you have to be brave and you have to do things that a lot of people haven't talked about. And so people like Sandra Pavelka and Ann Seymour who have created these guiding principles and restorative justice practices for crime victims and survivors has, has really been just tremendous. So. I would love to read through this a little bit and just kind of give it an idea of where restorative justice comes from because really it stems from the concept of abolishing prisons. It comes from the concept of abolishing military and abolishing the police. And these are comprehensive framework and policies that really at the end of the day should make perfect sense so that things can get solved in the way that they should. And restorative justice in all actuality is really just an innovative framework. It provides a foundation of fairness to, with, to practices and, and the views are really just in response to just a lot of the wrongful stuff that have happened and a lot of the crime and things. And And I think it's just the ultimate goal of it is really just to repair a lot of the harm that's been caused by a lot of the wrong that's happened. And while addressing the needs of like, you know, victims and offenders and the community all at the same time. I think that's an important part because a lot of people always ask, you know, when it comes to abolishment of prisons and police and all these things, well what are gonna happen to all the bad guys? You know, where are all the bad guys gonna go? Well and no one ever really realizes that I mean the bad guys never go anywhere. That's the problem. The justice system is horrible and We need to start asking, what about the victims? How do we change people to become better citizens? How do we make them more productive people in society rather than locking them away for the rest of their lives? And a lot of these principles and practices are in realignment with that. I mean, they're supposed to be applied in educational settings. They're supposed to be preventative. They're supposed to be interventionist. And they're supposed to be diversive, you know? I mean, it's really supposed to help there be less crime and to help crime victims and survivors, and really just help juveniles and the justice system. That's really it. At the end of the day, we want better for victims and survivors, making them the focus and making sure that all of these things add up to solving the problem at the beginning stage. Instead of thinking about all the ways we can punish people, let's think about all the ways we can help people at the beginning. Now, before you even consider what type of practices to put into place so that restorative justice can work, you have to understand a few different things about crime in general and how things work and how restorative justice should be focused. And so one thing for sure is that crime is personal. It's never not personal. Everyone knows or has been involved in a crime, and every crime is a personal situation, right? And you've got to think and consider that through each and every step. Now, you also have to think about how it needs to be victim-centered and trauma-focused. In every sense of the case, in most situations, the perpetrator is of focus, It seems weird, right? And then it's an entire situation where it's a traumatic event that is just continued and continued and continued when the victim is not the center of attention. It's really just a perpetrator. So. Another thing to think about is the voices of the victims and survivors in restorative justice are really, really the most important part to a success. We need to start making sure that we're listening to the victim first instead of the witnesses or to everybody else who wasn't there in the first hand. We need to make sure that in order to make all of restorative justice work, that the victims be in center focus. Now, also the victims need to be central focus and that means that you need to understand that each victim is going to be unique and each piece of information is going to impact that individual case and we can't sit here and, and act like each one is always going to be the same because it's not that needs to be considered in every single policy and practice okay if something specifically fails to respect and reflect a victim's constitutional rights. It is it's not restorative. Simply put, it's not restorative. So, in order for it to be restorative, victims need to be treated with fairness and sensitivity and respect and dignity. And they need to attend and be present at criminal justice proceedings. They need to be there. They need to have a voice. And they need to be heard in the process, including the right to prosecutor i mean they need rights to it all and they need to be informed of proceedings and events in the process they need to have everything including the release of the offender and they just need access to it all they need to know what's going on they need protection from intimidation and harassment they need restitution from the offender they need privacy most importantly and they need to apply for crime victim compensation okay and they're gonna need to return any personal property that people received as evidence because that happens a ton where they'll take everything from these people and never give it back to them their phones their clothes their things so they need everything back that they were given and they also need a speedy trial just stop all the delays stop the time wasted quicken it up they need and deserve a quick proceeding and enforcement of these rights and access to other available remedies okay so that means that all of those things need to be enforced by someone it needs to happen there's no doubt there's no other option that's it it's very simple it sounds right that sounds like the best thing to do right but that's not what happens okay so Many justice-involved individuals, including youth, women, and men, have histories of trauma and victimization that can be addressed and validated within restorative justice framework. These are facts. These are facts. It's been proven by research. It's been proven by research, okay? I'm going to tell you a little bit about that research, and I'm going to explain some of the activations that could really assist some people with restorative justice. So restorative justice practices are, I mean, the evidence from how they work comes from education, psychology, social work, criminology, victimology, sociology, and development and leadership. And it really is a process in order to build safe communities, increase social capital, decrease crime and antisocial behavior, repair, harm, and restore relationships. How great does that sound? I can't imagine anything else that I'd rather have. Because if you think about it, all the systems that we have right now aren't doing that at all. So some of the restorative practices include victim-offender dialogue, circles, reparative boards, restorative conferencing, impact of crime on victim programs, restorative community service, and apology banks. Now, Victim-offender dialogues are really just a process that provides victims with the opportunity to meet their offender and to engage a discussion in crime that's safe and structured. It's facilitated by a trained mediator, and the victim is able to share his or her position about the physical, emotional, or financial impact of the crime because of the offender. The offender can, can receive answers to questions about the crime, And they can just really just be involved in developing a case plan for the offender because it helps get more information. Now, circles are a little bit the same as victim-offender dialogue, but not so much. It really comes from the aboriginal justice tradition where people go in circles and... They provide a space for an encounter between the victim and the offender, but it moves beyond um, just involving them too. It involves the community in the discussion and in the decision-making process. And the community participants can range from justice system personnel to community members who are just simply concerned about the crime. And all the contributors, including the victim, the victim's family, the defendant, the defendant's family, and the community representatives are given a voice. So it's really important that everyone and has a space to speak their minds and restorative conferencing is pretty much kind of the same thing except a circle is way more about how people feel and a circle is really kind of led by a keeper who directs the movement of the talking so it's a little bit more organized in the circle but the restorative conferencing is really just a larger group of parties impacted by the wrongful occurrence and that allows them to get together in a controlled way to conversate about the issue at hand Another way is the reparative boards. Reparative boards, also known as a community reparative boards, are just a panel of people who is mostly comprised of like four to six people who are trained to address assigned adult or juvenile cases. These cases are usually non-violent and they're really just minor offenses. And so these people will come, meetings. they'll go to meetings, they'll meet face to face, and they'll just help people and victims and community members talk with offenders about their behavior in a constructive way. These people are people who you'll trust. They're people who can talk to everyone, who can hold some proper communication, and that's important to have when you want to understand and make some change. Now, another way is to impact, is to create an impact of crime on victims program and or create victim impact classes these are programs dedicated specifically to educating people to teach offenders about the human consequences of crime and to teach offenders on how to you know and really how it affects people how it affects people's families and their own families and the community and themselves specifically And this is to address property crimes. This is sexual assault. This is domestic violence. This is child abuse. This is neglect, elder abuse, drunk driving, drug-related crimes, gang violence, homicide. I mean, all of this can be addressed. Victim impact classes have been adapted for both adults and juveniles. So it can really be a replacement for what we think prison is supposed to be. People aren't supposed to be locked in cages away. They're supposed to be tried to make better human beings so that we can continue the community in a positive way. People are affected all the time by their family members and other people being in prison. Another way to give way to restorative justices to do restorative community service. Historically, community service has played an important role in courts and corrections as a sanction to hold offenders accountable for their actions or to pay back the community in some way. And it's great. That's good. It's an establish a positive link between the offender and the community. And in the past two decades, the concept of restorative community justice has taken a hold in many places. So it really has become something that is a positive thing that can make some serious change. Another way to imply restorative justice is to consider apology banks or apology classes. The concept of an inmate apology bank was created for victims of crime who have an interest in receiving an apology letter from the convicted defendant in their case. And this person could be, you know, in state prison or in a community supervision. It just doesn't matter. They want something to be said. And victims often wonder whether or not their offenders have taken responsibility or, or if they're even sorry and you know they, they just want to know and they deserve to know. They deserve every single bit of information to their advantage. And even likewise inmates sometimes seek to put into words of their acceptance default, their responsibility, the pain that they cause. They just may wish to write a letter of apology of their crimes. However sometimes some of these states prohibit that From happening and I think this program will really allow for that to happen because it needs to Now before I finish this out, I just want to say specifically that Crime victims and survivors have a serious, serious role in changing the justice system Because they know what it entails I mean the ultimate goal of public safety at the end of the day is to reduce crime okay? And that needs to result in fewer people and fewer communities who are harmed Crime victims and survivors have a significant role in shaping criminal justice policy as individuals because, like I said, they have first-hand experience. They know the real costs of crime. How is that hard to understand? It's very clear. It's very obvious. They should be making all the decisions. People who don't know crime, who have just seen it with their own eyes, who don't know it firsthand of their own experience, they shouldn't be making those decisions. You shouldn't be making decisions from your ivory tower. Crime victims and survivors deserve to be treated with dignity and as validated as a person as anybody who have been harmed. They should be respected in every single way, their privacy respected, their differences, their uniqueness, all of it. And most importantly, there needs to be mandatory supervision for offenders. They pose a serious risk to the public, so make sure that they are being watched And making sure that they are paying all the courts their legal obligation. They are making sure that they receive just punishment and the quantity of time that's convicted is served. Under any kind of form of correctional supervision, it just needs to be balanced with the quality of evidence and assessment and treatment and programming and supervision. It just needs to make sure that change can make sure that their criminal behavior and their thinking and all of that reduces the likelihood that they'll commit the future crimes, okay? So victims' rights to justice must be enforced in every sense of the way. It must be enforced from the law. must be funded. They must have safety. They must have representation. They must have every single part of the participation in legal process. They deserve every single bit of information. They need to know every single status, Every every single piece they deserve to know. And like I said, thank you so much to Sandra Pavelka and Ann Seymour for their wonderful work on this information. And shout out to my friend Hetzy for giving me this information in the first place from them. She's been trying to scream this into my face for years now. And of course, my ignorant ass has been like, I get it, I get it. But no, I think it's time to really, really get in and start spreading the message far and wide because it's time. Okay, so let's end this podcast with a little bit of information about how to improve yourself, which is personal growth. (laughs) And I've talked quite a bit about what is, I mean, a ton of ways to build yourself up when it comes to accountability, when it comes to just thinking and acting and behaving. But I don't think I've actually had a very specific conversation about personal growth itself in general in this way. In a way where it's more so acknowledging that personal growth is necessary and that maybe there is a point where sometimes we need to analyze our current situation in order to become better. And that's where personal growth (laughs) comes in. So, like I said, personal growth is just improving oneself and some things to consider when you're thinking about some personal growth is to think about your current situation what is your current situation what are some of your strengths what are some of your weaknesses what are some of your good and bad habits you really got to consider those things before you're even thinking about any kind of personal growth because those are the things that are going to either need to be adjusted or maybe kept the same I also want to think about what's your most favorite situation to even be in And considering those strengths and weaknesses or good or bad habits What are those moments where you feel completely at home and at peace and feeling happy? Who do you visualize yourself to be and to become in your ripe age even, you know And visualize who you will retire as and also think about what should you do to get there. That's going to involve some social, emotional, intellectual, spiritual changes. Some things to really look into deeply. They're not going to be light stuff. And then you're also going to want to think about how long will it take for you to get there. Plan it out. Wrap it out. Task it out. Long-term, short-term goals, tasks, daily, monthly, weekly, minute... <laughs> I wouldn't go so far, but still, hourly maybe even. Some things that will add into those things that will assist you to getting through those bad habits, to becoming a little bit more strong. And what will make you happy? So considering maybe having a morning routine, I've talked about this many, many times, is that my morning routine is everything to me. It's helped me tremendously when it comes to just setting the tone for my day. No one else gets to set the tone for me except for me. So that's where I'm going to have my meditation. That's where I'm going to write. That's where I'm going to read. It's really where I'm just going to set myself up so that I feel good and I'm at peace and I'm actually acknowledging what I need done meditation i think a lot of people assume that it's supposed to be this really silent moment where your mind's supposed to be empty but like it's supposed to be loud listen to everything that's happening acknowledge everything that you feel that's what meditation is is looking at it real head-on instead of ignoring it instead of pushing it away instead of listening to music to drown it out it's time to actually listen to what's going on so that you can solve it You also want to think about an evening routine and maybe settling down, turning off your phone, prepping for the next day, setting up some things for yourself so that you don't have to think so hard about what you need to accomplish the day after. I always like to say a clean space is a clean mind. And when you organize your space, you really can pay attention and think about the things that matter. So another way for some personal growth is to just clean up And minimize what's going on around you So that it's not so crazy and chaotic It's nice to just have the space for what's necessary You also want to make sure that you're blocking out some time For things that need to be done Maybe hour intervals, two hour intervals And then once you're done with that end it for the day, okay? This is something I like to remind people about is that don't waste your entire day on one thing. It will really stress you out. Make sure that you're using about one to two hours on the thing and then try again the next day. And if you need more time, communicate with somebody. Tell them. It's okay. No one's going to go crazy if it needs to be pushed back a day or two because I'm telling you and I promise you it really will suffice for you to have a break in between every now and then. Make sure you're having those moments where you're checking in with yourself. Like I said, you're meditating, you're becoming aware, you're being mindful of all the situations and responses and things that you could have. I mean analyzing You know what's your purpose Is the mission of what you're doing consistently You also want to cut out some bad habits Like I was talking about What are those strengths, those weaknesses Those good and bad habits And have fun with that Don't be so hard on yourself Have fun with the challenge of growing And smile when you're silly Smile when you mess up It's okay, it'll be fine The more fun you have with it The less serious you have to take yourself And the more you're going to really change And be your own friend So start with self-love, start with forgiveness, and start with patience because that's really going to help you get to that next level. Make sure that you're practicing giving without return. You want to make sure that you are helping others as much as possible because that's really going to help with that personal growth, putting yourself outside of yourself, communicating with other people, opening up your mind and being open-minded to any kind of differences and changes and just going with the flow. And that doesn't mean that you need to just allow everything to be. It means that allowing things that aren't in your control to be, right? You also want to, like I said, minimize, simplify, and don't go too wild when it comes to things. Because the more you simplify, the less you got to worry about all the details. Now, when it comes to personal growth specifically, you really want to think about some of the things you have to change when it comes to like communication and relationships, right? You've got to be more open to listening to others, you have to make sure that you're practicing gratitude and being thankful for the things that you have and the people that you have in your life. You've got to be able to ask for help and you've got to be okay with seeking feedback. Be humble. It's okay to be wrong and <laughs> promise is really going to, it's going to help you. It's going to, it's going to educate you and it's going to help you grow so much more than if you were to pretend like you were perfect. And when it comes to to personal growth, I tell you, confidence does not equal arrogance. Arrogance is not something that is a part of being a better person. Arrogance is an overcompensation of what someone genuinely believes that they lack. And so when you have true confidence, you're really grounded, you're at peace, and you don't have any room or reason to assert yourself. It speaks for itself. But you also do embrace your talents and you make sure that you do that to the fullest and that's respectable and that's confidence. Thank you all so much for always being here. I mean honestly it just it makes my soul truly, truly happy and I know like always I always kind of end with thanking you for being here. I know there's so many other places you could possibly be and just educating yourself through. And, and you should. I mean, there's so many wonderful things that are going on right now that are opening a ton of people's eyes. And just be sure that you're not holding yourself back and you're keeping an open mind as much as possible. And so I appreciate you for <laughs> being so open-minded and so wonderful because it's such a wonderful character trait. So Keep that up, and like I said, thank you so much for being here, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.